Hello and welcome to Spaceman Pod. I'm Ian Edmund. And I'm Mark Lassels. And this time we're going to be doing something a bit different. I, I don't know if after two episodes you can really talk about regular features, but what we've got in terms of regular features, chatting about songs, chatting about gigs, that's all going to um, take a little break for a while because we were um, very happy to be having a long chat with uh, Mark Rifoy, former guitarist in Spaceman 3, just for a little time, much longer in Spiritualized. But as you'll find out, if you don't already know about these things during our interview, um, has been involved in so many other things as well. Uh, we chatted to Mark for a bit longer than we were expecting. So what we're going to have in, in this episode is just the first part of, of a, a long chat we did, um, which covers his time up to being a member of Spaceman 3. But we'll get to that shortly. Um, what else have we got? to talk about today well i think uh, we covered all the current stuff when we were being introduced the last episode but one thing we haven't mentioned yet is that, of course that pete kember is coming and doing some sonic boom gigs which have already been rescheduled once but on the hope that things will still be okay in uh, early september which we can't guarantee of course because there's current worries about covid variants floating around but you know hoping that things are still okay in september we're keeping everything crossed mm -hmm. uh these are the dates that are coming up i think this is all of them they're mostly listed on uh, sonic boom bandcamp page although I, one of these was missing from there so there may be others but i think this is probably all of them so 3rd of september that's manchester 4th of september birkenhead 5th of september leeds a, a venue mark that i know is is a favorite of yours this is true. He's uh, he's playing at the Broodnell the first time for a very, very long time. Uh, the Broodnell's changed quite a bit since he was last there. I think last time he played was when it was really uh, being built up to the uh, to the wonderful place that it is now. I think there was a burnt out car in the car park. And I think Pete was slightly dubious about the play. Anyway, the, the Broodnell is nothing like that now. It's uh, uh, still my favourite venue in the UK nicest people best sound system uh not the easiest place to get to but well worth a trek and i'm, I'm no. absolutely delighted that pete's coming there yeah no i know Aren't it's we? got a great reputation and certainly you've you've talked up a lot in the past and, and uh hope i'll get the chance to visit something there someday but indeed stuck yeah. down on the south coast that's, that's not that <laughs> um 7th of september newcastle upon tyne 8th september birmingham 9th september in brighton uh, 11th september in camden and 12th in Bristol. As I think we mentioned last time, the Sonic Boom remix album, Almost Nothing is Nearly Enough, was out fairly recently. Um, and some good reinterpretations on there. I need to give it a bit more attention, I have to say. I'm going to think I've only given it a play once, but uh, very, very nice to have that. It also looks fantastic, uh, similar to the packaging of uh, the recently released album, uh, amazing splatter vinyl, and it's just a great package. I know that people who've got the vinyl, well, it's only available on, on vinyl, isn't it? Um, or, or download, uh, have said that it is a, a very impressive slab of vinyl there. Yeah, and it does look lovely from the, the photos I've seen of it, yeah. Well, here then is the first part of our interview with Mark Rifoy. Uh Has been in many bands, which uh, you'll encounter in the, this first chat. And uh, he's just got some lovely memories of those times. Well, we're very grateful for him for, for the time he spent with us. Enjoy this first part of the interview. Well, we're very happy today to be talking with Mark Rifoy, um, guitarist for a little while in Spaceman 3, for a much longer while in, in Spiritualized, but was involved in so many interesting projects as well, many of which I think people will be hearing about uh, for the first time. So, um, well, Mark, you were at um, Northampton boy when all the musical stuff side were you was that where you uh grew up as well uh no actually we came to northampton in uh when i was eight um this it's a little tiny village on the outskirts of the town um which is where uh, my friend carlo morocco um had his studio which the spacemen eventually uh recorded um Roller coaster and walking with Jesus and um, uh, those sessions, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's was that Piddlington? Piddington, yeah. Piddington. Yeah. Okay. Apparently, there's two Piddingtons in the country. One's in Oxfordshire, and the other one is uh, where we moved to. 
in Northamptonshire. So I know that you started doing your first band straight after leaving school, but presumably you've been into the the uh, local music scene for a while then anyway, because uh, I know that there were lots of gigs and things that you you were seeing in Northampton around that time. Yeah. Who was who was doing the circuit around then? I know that there were proper proper bands as well as local ones as well. Uh, well, there was obviously Barhouse, um, but there was loads of like local punk bands like the Eyesores and Grip, uh, bands you'd never heard of, uh, oh. Guillotine, um, proper you know punk bands that were influenced by the first wave of you know punk in seventy six seventy seven. Uh, but the ones that stood out were Barhouse because they were like nothing, you know. I mean, I know they've, they've since been uh, uh, credited, if that's the right word, as the, uh, the originators of the goth movement, but they, were, they weren't goth at all when they first started. They were, like, they were just weird. They were more like Iggy and the Stooges or something, you know. Mm-hmm. They're uh, actually quite, quite scary, some of the early stuff. Yeah. I remember somebody, um, uh, the first album... Uh, and playing it, and that and that first track, it was uh, gave me the heebie-jeebies. It was terrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all good Catholic boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember we saw them at uh, a place called uh, the Paddocks in Harpole, and uh, John Peel used to come and uh, do these like roadshow gigs. They were called at the time, and um, one of them was when when Barhouse were playing, and uh, uh, my brother was right at the front. And he must have been about 15 or 16 or something. And uh, the first song they did was Bella Lugosi's Dead, you know, the, their first single. Classic. Had, had this really long intro and Pete Murphy was twirling his shawl around my brother. And it was like very touch and go. He's like, what the fuck's he going to do? <laughs> and, uh, and my brother just stood stock still and didn't move a muscle. And, uh, and then when he started singing, he just threw his shawl away and started doing his, you know, singing. He's <laughs> <was> like, phew. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Well, I think the first band that you formed uh, straight after school was um, Syndromes. Syndromes, yeah. How did that all come together? Uh, that was me and a mate at school called Nick. And um, uh, we just loved, you know, The Clash, Joy Division, all that sort of thing. And... Um, he, uh, I didn't have any money, but he was going to be a student up in Nottingham. So he lent me his, a part of his student grant to buy my first guitar, a Telecaster. Uh-huh. And uh, we started our band called The Syndromes. I think it was mainly because at the local youth club, uh, the people who were running it were accusing us of being <laughs> a load of layabouts, which they were true. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was, but they said, oh, you'll never amount to anything and blah, blah, blah. And I went we'll play a gig here and we'll show you. <laughs> and, uh, and we did. And we formed, I always wanted to form a band, you know, and be in a band, etc. But that gave us the impetus to actually put it into motion. And, uh, and so my mate Nick played, but he couldn't play. I had to teach him. <laughs> and um, it was just very basic, you know, this is a C chord, just play, just stay on that, you know. You originally had uh, Carlo on drums, I believe. And Carlo was on drums, yeah. yeah. And we did this one gig at uh, Hackleton Village Hall where we did loads of covers. Uh, we did, did a couple of my songs as well. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, what, did, what did we do? We did uh, Police and Thieves. Well, the Clash's version of Police and Thieves, even though it was Junior Mervyn. Um, Jonathan Richmond, Roadrunner. Uh, I Feel Fine, The Beatles. Uh, I can't control myself. The Trogs version. Uh-huh. Um, I can't remember now. But I mean, you had certainly had your own repertoire for a while. I mean, it was a band that went on for uh, a good few, few years. years, really. What uh, the syndromes? Yes. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, yeah. Nick left, um, uh, but he, you know, it, that was because he he, di- he didn't really want to be a musician, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so got this guy in. Uh, called Steve Harshaw, who was, um, he was a, a bass player. He was a, a nurse in a local hospital where I was working at the time as a cleaner. And I used to see him around about gigs. And uh, he, he always looked like a kind of uh, interesting character, a big guy with loads of tattoos. And that was quite rare in 1982 or whatever. Uh-huh. 
And um, so I got him, him in on bass. And there was this local guy who used to play in a group called the Russians, called John Lucci Bello. And um, he came to see us at our youth club gig. And uh, he, th he thought we were really good. And for us, the Russians were like this proper local band. They'd done a John Peel session. So in our eyes, they'd made it. They were, they were like stars. And, uh, and he came to see us in uh, this lo local gig that we did. And he was quite impressed. And that really blew us away that this like local musician who was done a John Peel session liked us. So when um, Carlo went his separate ways, um, we asked this guy if he'd drum with us. And um, so he drummed with us. And, uh, and he actually drummed on the first demo that we did. And that was with, with Nick on bass. If, if I'm right, you didn't actually put anything out at the time. I know you recorded a few demos, but I think a lot of your output has been subsequently issued on a, on a CD a few years ago. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this guy, I don't know him. I don't know how he got to know about us, <laughs> um, but he emailed me and uh, he runs this label. I forget what it's called now, but it uh, specializes in like uh, unknown punk bands or well, not necessarily punk, but punk mod sort of like late early 80s late 70s bands that were had a, a sizable local impact in their local area uh -huh. at the time but never really released anything or got, went any further than their uh, initial impetus of wanting to just play in a band so i don't know how he got hold of us but uh i'm glad he did because mm. he ended, ended up putting out this uh, cd which was a compilation of uh, our demos and uh, a couple of live tracks i think mm -hmm. and um yeah i'm really glad he did it you know it's uh, i mean it's very post-punk there's no doubt about it yeah it's coming yeah. out you can tell it is coming from from yeah. the era but uh were you the only songwriter in the band uh in those in those days it wasn't like uh oh i write all the songs uh we would just get together and jam and mm. uh and I would uh, sing a load of garbage, you know, when we were rehearsing and then put it together, you know, later on. Mm -hmm. I mean, we would record stuff on cassette, you know, recorders, and then I'd take the cassette home and um, analyse it and try and figure out what I was singing about, <laughs> if I could make <laughs> it out. Yeah. I know towards the end of the, the syndrome, there was... Um... A tantalizing possibility of of things happening wasn't there and of uh, uh, yeah. a contract well, yeah. coming about yeah we used to um uh we used to take all our uh, cassettes down to um like london and i'd get, get all the addresses of people like rough trade etc all, all the labels and just tout around just knocking their doors and going oh we're a band here we are here's our demo tape give it a listen and in fact, I remember we went to a rough trade and uh, this would have been about 1980 or 81. And uh, this guy was uh, really, really friendly. And he said, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll give it a listen now. And he, he, he put it on in the office. And uh, this is in the, like, the rough trade offices. And uh, some guy sort of turned around and said, oh, turn that down, try and do some work. So he put his headphones on and he listened to it and <laughs> we were... We were like, uh, it was like a weird sort of like punk X factor. We were standing there in the office, like looking around like that while he was like nodding away on these headphones and he took them off and he went, yeah, yeah. I like, and he listened to all four songs and uh, he said, yeah, I like it. And he gave a, a really good, I can't remember exactly what he said. And, uh, uh, and he gave us his name and address and everything. And uh, he said, you know, give us a shout when you do more stuff. And uh, turns out he was Mayo Thompson from, um, Red Crayola. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and at the time, I had no idea, uh, you know, who he was. Just this, like, friendly guy at Rough Trade. And, um, but, yeah, it was him. Wow. <laughs> Transparent. That's brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, um, I mean, I think you went on till sometime early 83 then but it seems to be pretty common for people in all sorts of bands around the, at that time to to do more than one thing at a time so i know there were other things going on as well i think i'm right in saying that the the next one or the the, the next one to start even though this while the syndromes were, were still going on was um seller 16 
Yeah. A bit uh, of overlap again there with some of the, the members. Yeah. Seller 16 was... Um, 82. Uh, yeah. And uh, we would best describe once as uh, UB40 on speed. <laughs> Which was quite accurate. Accurate. In the, the sound of, you know, the music and the style, mm. etc. And um, not that we would advocate the, advocate the use of uh, substances. But, um, uh, yeah, John Lucibello, the drummer in the Syndromes, knew Alan and uh, Desmond. Uh-huh. Now, Alan was, uh, uh, unfortunately, Alan died uh, earlier on this year, which was a real shock. Uh, but he, he was this super talented uh, bass player and uh, his friend Desmond played the saxophone and uh, it was in in the basement of his house in number 16 uh, St Andrew's Road in Semillon in Northampton so cellar 16 yeah. so we used to just get together and jam and uh it was uh, it was completely instrumental, if I remember rightly. Yeah, we didn't have a singer. It was just me on thrashing away on guitar, Desmond on saxophone, Alan playing his bass, and uh, Lucci on drums. And uh, it it kind of went in tandem with the syndromes at the same time, uh, but because it was so different, it it wasn't like the the syndromes, as you say, was like kind of like post punk or whatever. Whereas the uh, whereas Cellar Sixteen was very it was a uh, funkier because Alan used to do all these funky bass lines and everything. And, um, yeah, you were hardly in competition with yourselves, really. It's a completely yeah. different prospect. Although yeah. I noticed there is some sax on one of the Syndromes tracks. Oh, yeah. That was uh, an instrumental, which was probably one of the songs that I couldn't think of any lyrics to. So uh, I think it might have been uh, John, the drummer, suggested that this uh, guy called Nigel Buckner comes and plays sax with us and he, he sure enough you know he just turned up to the studio ran through the track and um yeah he did it yeah, it was great oh. like this free jazz almost sort of thing because oh. uh, also ha- what was happening at the time in northampton was this thing called the northampton musicians collective uh-huh. and uh it was like a hub where like loads of individuals and bands used to revolve around um uh, these meetings at a pub called the fish on every sunday night i think and um, so you, you, it was a, it was like a kind of like a, a networking thing in those days. I mean, that word didn't exist then, but um, it was good that you could just turn up and meet people who you would normally never have met or you would only have seen at gigs in town. And um, and you're all like minded. You wanted to put music out and you're obsessed with music. And uh, Did a lot of bands come out of that. I don't think anybody came out of it you know, to any degree of like success or anything like that. But it was, it was a real good uh, fulcrum sort of meeting point. Sounds like a great idea. I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that Northampton under glass cassette, which got reissued on CD a little while ago, I wouldn't know without checking out because names on there that I wouldn't recognize, but just looking into things for talking to you, the number of people who were in some bands and then split off and went into other ones. Mm. It's not at all impossible that there is some things there that, that started off people's careers. Yeah. Yeah. There was um, a whistle test did a, a little feature on that. Oh scene, God. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and you can find it on YouTube and there's a chat by which point the, the center had moved to the black lion but they do that little roundtable interview and John is one of the people they talk to there. That's right, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's all That's all about the, the NMC, the Northampton Musicians Collective. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But we'll come back to that because by the time it cuts around to a brief appearance from you in that, there's a different band going on. So we'll be, oh, yeah. we'll be there in a moment. Yeah, John described Cellar 16 as, as being a bit like pig bag as well, which I can, I can see as another yeah, comparison. Um, uh, and I noticed earlier in the year a little... Um, clip of of you lot playing at, at the at the black lion found its way onto facebook I haven't seen it on youtube or anywhere else so i don't know how easy it is to share it so ah. uh, you're, you're doing um horny dog which oh, john's right yeah which john said in one of his interviews horny dog got its name because desmond's dog was humping mark's leg at the time of writing that number <laughs> i've got vague memories of that <laughs> <laughs> i think they were probably um the sort of shortest lived of the the bands that we're 
going to talk about that you've been in today because as far as Who, I can, uh, seller 16 yeah i think mm. it was a purely 82 affair yeah yeah um, but also while um while syndromes were still in existence i, I think um that's when you got involved in uh, the tempest yeah uh, now there was this guy alex alex novak mm-hmm. and uh to and his brother uh, john as well they were both in different bands but they started off with this punk band called uh, the Eyesores in Northampton. And uh, I think they subsequently had links with uh, Glass, Dave Barker. Uh-huh. And um, everybody knew everybody in, you know, in this little town. And uh, Alex put the word out that he wanted to start a new band. I can't remember exactly how it happened. It might have been to do with John Lucci Bello and, and Alex. But... Um, yeah, the Tempest, I don't even remember how it, it was all <laughs> happening at the same, at, at one point there was the Syndrome, Cellar 16 and the Tempest, Yeah, all, all happening at the same time. I think during 82, they were certainly all in it, and early 83, yeah. I think yeah. they, were, they were indeed all around at the same time. Yeah. Um, of course, before um, Alex formed the Tempest, when he was in religious overdose with um, Richard Formby. Richard Formby, yeah. Yeah. Someone else who comes to play a role in the in a spaceman story later on as well. That's right, yeah. With um, Tempest, I think that was um, first band you were involved with that actually did get to the stage of putting out some records. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because uh, Alex had his. Uh... Oh no, it wasn't Glass. Was it Glass? I haven't made a note of the labels on my little notes here. Anagram. I know it went on to Anagram eventually. The first one wasn't on Anagram, but I can't remember what it was on. I don't think it was on Glass. So there was a a seven-inch called Lady Left This. Lady Left This and Attic. Uh Yeah, and um, uh, we recorded those over at uh, Beck Studios in Wellingborough. And and that was like the... Derek was like the Martin Hannett of Northamptonshire. Everybody who went there, uh, when you did a demo with an idea of what you wanted to do, if you played like your rough cassette live recording of your song that you were going to eventually record and compared it to the one that Derek produced, it would be like, wow. <laughs> and uh, he just knew everything about how to, how to make a song sound like a proper song. Uh-huh. I can't put it any better than that. Uh, and that's why loads of people used to go there. Barhouse went there. They recorded um, Bella Lugosi's Dead there, and uh, they they actually drafted him in to come and like assist on their later albums, etc. Uh-huh. And um, I think they're in the process of writing a book about uh, Beck Studios and and Derek himself. Oh wow! Um, so yeah, uh, the Syndromes recorded there. We did our, a couple of a few demos there. Uh, and then this parade and uh, the Tempest recorded there as well. Um, and we did a Kid Jensen session with the Tempest, I think. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Getting a bit of attention on the the evening uh, radio things. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it was so long ago. And I mean, you, you're saying that, and I, and I, I haven't forgotten about it, but I, I don't have thought to about it. Presumably, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, David Jensen, because he was one of the... Uh, he wasn't quite John Peel. Yeah. <laughs> so it was... Uh, but it was a halfway John Peel. There was yeah, yeah. enough credibility in that sort <laughs> of thing. The, the, the sound of the Tempest, I mean, that there's there's a slight sort of goth tinge to some of those sorts of bits. Yeah. I think the guitar Probably. sound reminded me a little bit of um, sort of that early Susie and the Banshees type sound. It's a really interesting... Mm. Sort of, it's a sort of sound. I don't quite know how you get that sort of thing, really. It's, um, but it's also got the slight beginnings of the. If there was any one word I would use to try and sum up your style across everything, there'd be shimmering, and there's a beginning of some of that in bits of it. I think. Ah, well, that's, that's uh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I remember when we were in Beck, and um, and Derek Tompkins was like mixing the the song this is with the tempest uh, it was with that that song attic mm-hmm. and uh at one point uh he, he took his glasses off and he went he turned around to me and he went he didn't know my name or anything he went that is a fine piece of guitar playing <laughs> <laughs> and i was like 
oh, oh, thank you, sir. <laughs> you can't ask for much more, really, at that stage in your recording yeah, yeah. career. Oh, that was it. I was made up from then on. <laughs> oh, fantastic. I mean, of course, with the, with the Tempest, you went on and recorded an album, but then you already alluded to, to another act before the album came out. Yourself and uh, some of the other guys went off to form uh, this parade? This parade was basically uh, the syndromes because Steve left the syndrome. Actually, no, looking back, I was being a bit of a prima donna and, uh, and I asked Steve that I didn't want to play with him anymore, which to my eternal regret, you know, I regret doing that. And um, but he went on to form his own band, the Love Ambassador, and they they, they were good. They, you know, they they did a lot of stuff. Um, but uh, Alan from Cellar Sixteen came over into Syndromes with uh, me and John Lucci Bello, but we changed our name to This Parade uh-huh. uh, because it, it didn't seem right to be the Syndromes when um, Steve wasn't there anymore. You know. Uh-huh. Well, you put out um, a twelve-inch. Oh God, yeah, trade. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had that had that years ago. I think might even still have a copy of that. But that seems to have been a fairly short-lived affair, on the whole. Yeah, it was. Um, in, in those days, when you're in your early twenties and that, like six weeks can be like six months, and uh, yeah, uh, a lot of things happen in a short space of time, and. Uh, it just fizzled out basically. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I think Alan left this parade and we got in AD, AD Rhodes, who then subsequently became a member of Telltale Hearts with uh, me, Tim, and AD and a drum machine. And that, as far as I can see, is, is the next development when Telltale Hearts began yes. around that time. I, mean, I don't know exactly when, but it must have been by late 85 because um you played on the bill at the first of the christmas on mars events yeah. at ben hall and rugby and um, so that was the end of 85 um so was it all the people from the band you've been in previously or was it slightly different did you did you form telltale hearts or was it a, an existing thing that you morphed into no uh, telltale hearts was uh, uh myself tim sansom and ad rhodes and Tim had been a mate of mine since about 82. Uh, and he was uh, just in, in our circle, circle of friends, you know, and he was a, a very uh, amazingly intelligent, fantastic songwriter and lyricist. And um, I, I don't know how it came about. Well, we, we probably just went, oh, let's, let's, let's record a few songs together. And, uh, and it just developed into playing together after a night out or whatever, uh, and then deciding to go to a local demo studio, cassette porter studio, you know, not like a big recording studio, just bang some demos out. And uh, and then we decided to, yeah, let's start a band. And um, I think I got the name from it by this, uh, from a, a book of like horror stories, like with Edgar Allan Poe's Telltale Heart in it, you know. You'd not been aware of the uh, American we were totally, band. Totally, totally unaware yeah. of the other American band. So, I mean, some names are just right for choosing, really, aren't yeah. there? There's plenty yeah. of bands with. The there's loads of slipstreams. There's, there's a few yeah. syndromes, you know. Well, bringing things together from uh, some of the people we've already been involved with around to uh, the main topic of what we're doing, I found um, an interview with John where um, he's asked, uh, is there a local band you wish you drummed with? And he says, there's not a Northampton band I can think of. Yeah, I did my utmost for some 10 minutes or more in a pub corridor in the summer of 1985 to try and persuade Spaceman 3 to have two drummers after the first time I saw them at the Black Lion pub in Giles Street. At the time, they had two guitars and one drummer. And their response to my question was, can you play the bass? Well, I could- This is indeed, yes, John. 
He says, uh, well, I could learn, I suppose. But they were brilliant that night, playing to about 15 non-paying customers on a Thursday night. Now, that band I would love to have joined, without a doubt. Some three months later at the same venue, I took Mark Rufoy along to their next performance with a far larger audience and now with a bass player. Oh, well, one can always dream. So John must be getting a little bit muddled up in his He's memory. He's getting mixed up there, yeah. Because I know the first time you saw Spaceman 3 was... No bass player. Uh, was August 85, when, yep. uh, as you say, still no basis yet. That's interesting because it shows that they were um, thinking about um, going back to having a bass player because yeah. Bain had been with them before, but then had left to go off to, to the push. And uh, yeah. I think at that time, a version of the push, I think they might have evolved a bit more by that point. But anyway, he was still playing with someone else. So, um, but yeah, they could have, could have, well, after someone, but he wasn't available at the time. But yes, that's the first night. Do you remember it being John getting you along, or was it just a? Uh, John had said to me uh, a, a while before that night. Um, uh, oh, there's this, uh, this, there's this group you should come and see at the Black Lion. I saw them the other night, and um, uh, they're really good. They just do these. They're sitting down and they just play these long droney songs. And I didn't, I didn't think anything of it because we were going out, uh, not every night of the week, but two or three nights of the week, just going to out to see bands or whatever. And um, and this particular time when they, when the spacemen were playing at the Black Lion, he said, uh, "Oh, you're going to come down tonight?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, we'll go down." So I went down with uh, Tim from Telltale Hearts. I think AD might have been there, and. Uh, we didn't know what to expect, didn't have a clue. And uh, the cogs of time went on first. I thought, oh, yeah, they're good. They're all right. And um, and I remember they, they finished their set uh, and then the space then started. And I wasn't looking at the stage or anything like that. Nobody was didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and I remember I, I, had a drink, I had a pint and I was drinking. I was about to put it, I was about to start drinking it. And they started, and I think it was um, 2.35. And, uh, and it got halfway to my mouth, and I just stopped. And I was going, oh, this is good. Wow, this is all right. And I, and I looked up, and, uh, and Big Tim, uh, the guy from Telltale Hearts, was uh, shouting something into my ear about n- nothing to do with Spaceman 3. And uh, it was all to do with Telltale Hearts. He'd go, yeah, we've got to do this, we've got to do that, blah, 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 blah. And I was just going, Tim, Tim, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. And he was going, no, don't listen to these, man, don't listen to them. I went, Tim, Tim, just wait, just wait. And, well, that was it. From then on, it was just like, I knew this was something else. It was, it was, yeah, beyond words. Have you read that book? Indeed, uh, yes, because yeah. it was not only your first time that you'd seen Spaceman 3, it was also the first time that... Um, Pat Fish. Pat Fish had seen them, yeah. and, and indeed Graham Holiday, who wrote the whole thing up um, more recently. Yeah. Um, what, what, set the scene for us. What's the Black Line like? I mean, I know it had this ridiculously high stage. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't much bigger than your front room. Um, if you had 50 people in there, it would be rammed. Um, you can't really get a, a, an idea of, how, of the size of the place when you see that uh, whistle test footage from the... Uh, this parade thing but um if anything it makes it look like a quite a big venue but it's it's not at all uh it was a real it was known as a real dingy uh backstreet sort of like uh dive really where lots of uh fights used to happen and drug use blah 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 you know but it was great it was brilliant great venue so that first time that you, you saw them then and, and for Pat Fish, did you already know Pat Fish by this time? I, I knew him a bit. Uh, it was, it was I, I didn't know him, I got to know Pat very well uh, in subsequent you know, years. Uh, he's a great mate you know, to this day. And um, I remember everybody was getting sucked in. Um, and... Uh, by the end of the, the night, Pat was like, uh, his elbows on the stage, just looking up like that. Whereas at, uh, at the beginning of the gig, he'd have probably been at the back or something, but it just sucked him in. And uh, there was just some, something so compelling and charismatic about the way they 
were on stage, not the way they looked, but the way they were, uh, there was something, there was an atmosphere and, uh, God, I'm making this sound like the second coming. But <laughs> no, was, but um, I think obviously we're, this is the thing that, that we're mainly here to talk about. So we know what, but yeah. you know what you mean. I think we, we spent a long time waffling on in our first podcast, trying to articulate what it was that, um, that, that appeals to us so much, but it is difficult to to distill down uh, to be honest they're quite unlike a lot of the other bands that i really like it's yeah. not that i think you've got to be immersed in the psychedelia or anything like that together but there's yeah. something about the well it's the drone the 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 repetition yeah. and the way yeah. that it's done with such power it's just uh, so it, it's enticing. The, ball, the balls to do it as well yeah. to be yeah. you know the brass to, to to just do that with so much conviction and they looked about 16. It was like, what are these guys? What the fuck are they on? You know, yeah. I, think, I, think, I, think, I think you nailed it, Mark. The first time I saw them, uh, I thought that. I thought, you know, what are they doing? There's two guys sitting down. Yeah. I, I had no idea what to expect. And the fact that they actually were in their own zone yeah they knew what they were doing it was really well controlled yeah. uh and it didn't actually seem to matter what was happening outside their zone it, you know yeah. if you wanted it then you could have it and yeah uh, i i had the same reaction yeah and and also i uh, what you said uh about um having the balls to do it is is something that that i was saying on one of the previous uh podcasts as well it, it's not like they were doing something which wouldn't have been possible to be done by other people yeah, but you've just got to have the nerve to actually do it. Yeah, I, I described I, I, it before as being like modern art. You know, a lot of critics will go, oh, "I could have done that." Well, yeah. yeah, you could have done, but you didn't yeah. do it, and they yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I I remember uh, I didn't know their names at the time, but uh, the guy who was singing, Jason, was like high. I don't know whether this was purposeful or not, but he was behind the PA, sitting down, not giving. Uh, a hoot whether he's been seen by the crowd at all you know but by by the same token that is stage presence even though he's actively trying not to be like a stage performer mm -hmm. but uh I, I just thought that was so that was genius you know but i don't think it was possibly i don't think it was premeditated they just did what they did so did yeah. you go and, and make contact with them after that gig? Afterwards, I approached Pete and uh, I said that that was fantastic, mate. Uh, the only thing I can compare that to is like the, the first time I saw Barhouse in town and his face sort of went, oh, no. I said, no, no, no. <laughs> I said, no, you're not like Barhouse, but the impact is, is of a similar, you know, impact. You know, I couldn't put it in any better words and yeah. Uh, yeah yeah i mean to this day i i often think back on that night and think what what was it about well it was just it was it was amazing uh, and natty was natty was just looking straight ahead eyes wide just going mm, 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 mm. just just genius absolute genius but it polarized a lot of people i remember going to some wine bar in that's what you did in the 80s in Northampton. And I was ranting on about Spaceman 3 and there was this girl who I was trying to get the attention of. And I was sort of going, yeah, you've got to see Spaceman 3. They're absolutely fantastic. And she was going, oh, they're total crap. They just sit down and play these like, you know, and I went, that's why they're genius. Because <laughs> some people just see it. Well, they don't see it, <laughs> you know. Well, you started um, playing gigs with them fairly quickly after that. I, I, am I right in thinking that you sort of did a, a, an exchange thing where you would try and sort them out things in Northampton and they That's would get right. you onto Bills and Rugby? Yeah. Um, uh, I think me and Jason swapped numbers and, um, uh, and I really wanted to cultivate a rapport between us and them. But I knew that Telltale Hearts were nothing like Spaceman 3. And uh, uh, if truth be known, I really wanted them to like us. But, you know, I don't think they did. It doesn't matter at all. Uh -huh. But at, at the time when you're that young, you want to be, uh, uh, you, want, you want to be liked. <laughs> and, well, it's uh, one, when you've got, and it's not like Northampton is that small a town, but when it, 
not in massive cities when you, you you tend to have things where all of the alternative cultures come together in one small space and from all the descriptions i've read about it that's a bit like um the reverberation club run by yeah. pete and and gavin Wesson yeah. ended up being like really yeah you know, it sounded like a lot of the people who were there didn't really have a lot in common but you've got all of the different alternative tribes coming together because where else is there to go yeah yeah exactly yeah i mean you say that the black lion was just a small little room how what's what about that upstairs at the blitz where the reverberation club was held in rugby you remember anything much about about that oh i remember uh, was it upstairs oh, it might not no sorry i think i'm wrong about that i yeah. i probably just got it confused because it's all not not from personal experience yeah, yeah. i think there was a back room wasn't it yeah, there's a back room uh, downstairs. Yeah, um, yeah, I saw Spacemen uh, three times there. I think mm -hmm. two or three times. Uh, one time they did uh, some kind of love, the Velvets, mm. and uh, I was just blown away by that. I love the Velvets to you know, and then and to this day, and I thought, ah, oh, wow, they're doing that. We must be, you know, on the same kind of wavelength. Uh, I mean, th th but they're. A lot of the music that they were into, I was unaware of at the time, and it was only when I got to know uh, them that I became aware of all the stuff, you know, that they were into. I mean, I was aware of it, but I was never, at the time, uh, listening to it, you know, a lot, all the Pebbles stuff and uh, Stooges, etc. I was aware of it, but I only got to know, familiarise myself with it later on. Very geeky question. Um, in Eric Morse's book, he claims that you and Pat Fish went to see Spaceman 3 at their gig at the Mercia Leisure Centre. No, it wasn't the Mercia Leisure Centre. It was the, uh, it was a pub. It, that was, it was upstairs in Coventry in a pub called the Colin, the Sir Colin oh, Campbell. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. a Pilgrim Club gig. There, yeah, presumably. yeah. And now, that found... idea, the reason I was keen to find that one out is we were talking about that gig uh, the, on our last podcast. <laughs> And uh, Gav from the Cogs, his memory was that the only people who were there uh, were in the audience for Spaceman 3 were the Cogs of Time and, and Pete Kemba's uncle. And uh, yeah. since this contradicted that, I just wanted to... <laughs> I used to have a tape of the Mercia uh, Leisure Centre gig. It was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. It really is. Nice. It's, it's, uh, yeah. it's doing the rounds now. It's, uh, it's, yeah. uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic performance. Yeah. It's really good. Well, it sounds like there's no one there, and it's. But you never quite believe it when people say, as as Pete and Jason both said over the years, "Oh, you know, no one came," and you think, "Yeah, well, you're exaggerating a bit." There were probably a few people, but no, it really does sound like no one came to that at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what about these um, big uh, Christmas and Easter gigs? There were sort of three of those big um, multi-band affairs. Yeah, uh, Jason used to. Um, he would send me over a load of tickets. Uh, for us to sell at our end and a load of fly posters etc they were very organized space far more organized than I was or that we were and uh, they really were on point as it were when it came to organizing their gigs and their stuff and that and um, I remember uh, the first one we did was uh, one of the Christmas on Mars I believe I think on that first Christmas on Mars there was Spaceman 3 and yourselves yeah Magnolia Siege Cogs of Time. Total oh, Magnolia they, they were a Northampton band. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was Richard and Dave, Gary. Yeah. Well, they're on the tickets anyway, whether everyone turned up yeah. or not is, is unsure. I, th I think that uh, at that gig, um, when we turned up, uh, they said, uh, oh, you're going to have to go on first because somebody hasn't turned up. And we were like, what the fuck? You know, <laughs> it says we're going on whenever. I yeah, know. yeah um but anyway it turned out we went on first and um we, we were good we enjoyed it we played a good gig and then uh pete and jace came up to me afterwards and they were saying hey yeah that was really good and i was thinking oh yeah thanks but inside i was thinking yes <laughs> <laughs> that's what you were after from the first time so you were <laughs> <Yeah. playing> with... <laughs> yeah. and there was another one the following year you're still the telltale hearts um they've got purple things Loop, loop, loop yeah. that one. I, I remember Loop. Uh, that was the uh, the one and only time I've seen Loop, and uh, I was gobsmacked because I thought, it, "Fuck, Jason looks different." <laughs> I, I wow. really thought it was Spaceman. Um, I'm short sighted anyway, but uh, as I got nearer, they were sound checking, and 
it was uncanny. But, you know, fair play to them. They were in, heavily influenced by them and uh, they were letting their influence show, you know. Mm-hmm. Not a problem with that. No, fair and also the, the dark side were playing, although I'm guessing that will still be when Nick was uh, singing the singer. The dark side. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't remember the dark side then. That well, I can't expect someone who was playing a thing to have sat there in the audience taking everything in. You've got other things to be doing as well. Yeah. And then shortly after that, then the following Easter, there's one, and that's largely similar lineup. Apparently, Loop were there again as as yourselves and Spaceman Three in the Dark Side. Perfect Disaster played that night as well. Ah, oh, did they? Do you know, <laughs> they're all melding into one. You know. So you'd already you said this at the beginning, but. Um, when Spaceman 3 were getting it together to actually do some recording, it was you that suggested Carlos um, yeah. studio. Yeah. So this was just something he set up in his back garden, is it? No, uh, Carlo. Uh, <laughs> I'd known Carlo since I was about 12. Uh-huh. And uh, he was quite a sort of volatile uh, individual. Uh, and we were best of mates a lot of the time. And uh, he used to keep a load of fireworks that he he amassed over the years. And I used to go around his house and go, you know, in the middle of summer and go, Carly, let gonna let off your fireworks. He'd go, no, 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 <laughs> do it some other time. Anyway, he had this, uh, or his parents had this, uh, like an outhouse, which was like another smaller house further down their, uh, their drive, if you like. And um, he converted it into a recording studio. And he was, me and him used to go there and he was the first person I played like electric guitar with because he had this really cheap uh i didn't even know what make it was but electric guitar with this this big amp I, and i've got no idea what the amp was but we used to be in there for hours just jamming away and he didn't have a drum kit he had all these um uh lawnmower like tubs that the things that you stick on a lawnmower that collects the grass he had them all like and a, and a few tin cans and uh, oil drums and he just got this mega sound. And uh, in, in a way, I suppose we probably would have, uh, well, we wouldn't have sounded like Spacemen, but we wouldn't have started a song or, or whatever we were doing and, and just just went, oh, after two minutes, we'd stop. We'd have just carried on and on and on. So, but, but that was when I was about 17, 18. And then we, we did the syndromes, but Carlo, by this time he'd got a drum kit but he, did, he didn't uh, play with us for any, any time after that. That's when John Lucibello came in. And um, years later, uh, I find out that, well, not that many years later, he, he uh, converted this house where we used to do our jamming uh, into a, a recording studio. And it was a you know, proper, proper studio with like a, like a little live room uh, and a, a, a window. And then you've got the, uh, the mixing desk, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. And when I was, I would be calling Jason every now and again, just about, you know, when we were going to go and play at the Blitz or whatever, or when they were going to come and play at the, um, the Black Lion. And in one of those conversations, I said, oh, yeah, a mate of mine's got a studio. If, uh, I think Jason might have asked me if there were any studios that I knew about. And then one night, um, Jason Pete uh, drove over and I met them at Carlo's house, a prearranged meeting, and they went and had a look, met Carlo. And then after that, um, I went back home and then Jason called sometime afterwards and said, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to go there. And, uh, and, that, and that's when they recorded um, the big long roller coaster and walk, Walking with Jesus. That's just fine, you know. Yeah, well, they recorded uh, lots of demos first of all and ended up using that Walking with Jesus yeah. as a single and going back. I think and they became the known as the Northampton demos, didn't they? They did, yeah. That's with, right, yeah. Piddington didn't really have the ring. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I think we should start a campaign to get them officially renowned as the Piddington demos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you went along, I think, one, while they were doing them at one point. Yeah, I did, yeah. And, uh, yeah, there was... Uh, yeah, because by this time there was uh, uh, Pete and... Natty, Pete was the bass player then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I w- just went down to say hello, and uh, uh, they didn't. I got the impression that they weren't really getting on with the engineer. Not with Carlo. They liked Carlo, uh-huh. um, but there was an engineer there, and uh, but I mean, 
they, they, they were great sessions. Well, they? let's face it, they've always been pretty exacting. It must have been quite difficult to have uh, yeah, yeah. got exactly what they wanted from it straight yeah, away. Yeah. So, I mean, we're getting to the point of them beginning their recording career and you were carrying on playing gigs together I and mean, also in Northampton you at places like the Five Bells as well yeah is that was that any bigger because that was uh, quite a sizable uh venue yeah I mean I wondered yeah. if it was because some of the other gigs that Spaceman 3 were doing there they were supporting like Fields and the Nephilim and of course like any band I guess they would have not necessarily started as being that big but when you hear names that you recognize you think yeah well, you're playing slightly bigger places now I think we did we play at that one? No, no, we didn't. No, who who was that guy? Uh, there was another one. We did play at the Five Bells or Spacemen. Yeah, yeah. There was a poster from September '86. So this is um, going to be after uh, Spacemen Three have just got their first album out. Um, but yeah. yeah, it was you and and them playing there and on a Sunday in in September. Then yeah. I knew b- before we get on to when you got more involved with them, I know you carried on going to see them throughout the years, really. Uh, yeah, I, I was a fan, major fan. Uh-huh. Totally, yeah. Any particular ones that you remember? I know um, that you went to see them just after New Year in 89 at Dingwalls. Yeah, I was going to say that. I went to Dingwalls and... Uh, <laughs> um, I, th- I think I was... My, my Bloody Valentine, I think, were playing. Um, there was a Dingwalls one in the summer of 88 um i mean they played this so many times yeah. but yeah that 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 would have the the one well there might have been quite a few in my buddy valentine but i know the first gig that will played had uh my buddy valentine in support ah. but, maybe uh, maybe but i know there was a new year one as well people remember it being really cold oh. and literally just after new year yeah, it was yeah, second. I went, I, me and johnny went uh down to that on the train oh. um and then we bu- we busked outside the venue, me and Johnny Mattock, and Pete walked by and he put a pound. <laughs> um, yeah, but I remember the one uh, at Dingwalls with uh, My Bloody Valentine. I remember being distinctly, I was not unimpressed. That's not the right word. But uh, My Bloody Valentine didn't make an impression on me whatsoever mm-hmm. because I think that was the night when they were had their minds blown by spacemen. I might be wrong, but... No, people have mentioned it, that that, that they started playing differently after they had Spacemen 3 support. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, could well that be. That might have been the night when, uh, 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 when Spacemen went on stage. I think Jason was playing the Rickenbacker as well, which was very weird. I've ne- uh, that was the one and only time I'd seen him play. He had this red Rickenbacker guitar. It might have been a 360. Uh, anyway, uh, Pete just came on stage... And uh, he went fasten your seatbelts, and they went straight into roller coaster or something. It's genius. Wow. <laughs> Were you? Did it seem from your point of view as a fan that there was development going on over the years? Oh yeah, 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 definitely, yeah. Because so, people have talked. I remember Will talked about before he was in the band as uh, as you know, always liking them, but they're going to one show and thinking they've really stepped it up now. That the whole yeah. sound is more that's powerful. right. Yeah. Well, I remember even back uh, in the Black Lion days when they first had uh, Pete on Pete Bain on bass, it was like uh, uh, I remember me and Pat Fish walked in at the same time, and Pat just looked up and he went, "Oh, Spacemen Four, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and that was re- that really just boosted the sound, you know, having uh, Pete's bass. It was fantastic. In in a way, it was like a completely different band to the band before. Uh-huh. Uh, just as good, but totally different. Uh-huh. So when you f- when did you first meet um, Johnny Mattock then? I met Johnny Mattock in the uh, the same hospital when I was a clean a cleaner. Uh, when I met the first guy, Steve Harshaw, who played bass in the Syndromes. But by the time I'd met Johnny, I was I was like a care assistant, and Johnny was a cleaner. And I used to clock him and go, "Oh, I know you, don't I?" You playing that band, the Apple Creation, and he went, "Yeah, you playing Telltale Arts." I went, "Oh, yeah." So um, it went on from there, and uh, I remember Jason uh, asked me once to uh, put up an ad in a Northampton music shop, saying uh, "Drummer Wanted" for Spaceman Three, 
uh, and all the influences, all, all the points of reference, uh, I can't remember them, but one of them was Tav Falco. And, um, and that was the ad that Johnny answered and, uh, and he got the job, oh. as we all know. And um, I, I, I think I knew Johnny then enough to uh, like call him up or, or if ever I met him in town, like, oh, well done, mate, you know, fantastic. And, and he, Johnny was a big fan of the Telltale Hearts anyway, so he was aware of me oh. and I was aware of him and his group, The Apple Creation. And, uh, oh, yeah, Johnny had drummed on a demo of ours in that group, Wild. Oh, yeah, Wild. Yeah. Next one I was going to ask about. There's very, very little uh, to evidence of Wild's existence oh. out on the internet, I have to say. Yeah. Um, well, we didn't really do much. Uh, um, there was a, an earlier version of the, the Slipstream song, Healing Hands, uh, oh. that, that we did, uh -huh. that subsequently came out, uh, I think it was on the Transcendent Transcendental. Yeah. Uh, and that was comprised of just mates. What's, what's Johnny in that band? Now, um, Johnny wasn't in Wild, but he did drum on the demo. I found a page about Northampton bands that suggests that Wild was yourself, Adam Pickup, Tim yeah, Cantwell, Adam. Tim Oliver, and Tim Crisp. That's it, yeah. Three oh, yeah, Tim, Tim Cantwell was the drummer. Tim Cantwell, yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, but prior to him joining us, Johnny helped us out by doing the demo. Yeah, was wild. Um, uh, Tim after... Cantwell. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Tim Cantwell uh, drummed in ten tale in ten tale hearts after we got rid of the drum machine. Ah right. Ah right. Did yeah. did wild go? Was it after or was it another one of these parallel things with Telltale Hearts or was it just what you? Uh, no, uh, Telltale Hearts had uh, uh, dissolved by then, right. and um, I wasn't doing much. And uh, yeah, because, yeah, me and Tim, Tim Crisp, were working at the same hospital mm -hmm. and we were sharing a house together uh, with Tim Cantwell. So that's how it all came about. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's all fitting together now. Yeah. So that was, I, I guess, still going on um, around the time when um, you went down to that gig to see Spaceman 3 at Waterman's in uh, May 89. Oh, that's right. Yeah when uh, it seemed that everyone knew what was going to happen except for you smiling yeah. away in the background so <laughs> what happened when you got there wow cliffhanger ending uh what could possibly be about to happen at that gig it I was a bit teasing everybody with that <laughs> yes indeed. well i mean unfortunately because we didn't know that we were going to cut this into pieces there's not a nice ending there uh you'll have to come back next time to discover exactly what happens at that spaceman <laughs> three gig <laughs> but um since we didn't have a proper wrap-up we didn't have a chance to say at that point thank you very much mark we really enjoyed our, our chat with you and uh, I, I, there's there's more to look forward to in the, the next edition, which will be the one that's mainly about Mark's time in Spaceman 3 and Spiritualized. There'll be more after that, of course, because he's been involved in so many other things since then, his own projects, of course, and uh, guesting on all sorts of other people's uh, records and uh, concerts as well. That's right. No, it was an absolutely fascinating discussion, I have to say. I learned so much to, about Mark that I didn't know and the bands he'd been in and contributions that he'd made uh, yeah absolutely and was, uh, what a was, friendly a lot of fun. Uh, guy as well oh, uh, lovely chat yeah it's brilliant uh since a lot of what mark was talking about is the uh, northampton and surrounding scene from the mid 80s uh there's an interesting little radio clip that we can play you from uh, radio northampton where they're uh, outlining that week's gig guide into the countywide gig guide to find out the events taking place in and around Northamptonshire and just over the county boundary in the coming week. As always, we begin this evening, Sunday the 20th of October, at the Black Lion in St. Giles Street, the cellar band, a jazz band of that, are on stage. Meanwhile, at the Birmingham Powerhouse, the Fall are appearing, and at JB's in Dudley, you can see Trevor Burton. And friends of the programme, indeed, Hayes, the Sheffield band, they're appearing in Kingsthorpe at the Old Five Bells. Those are the gigs tonight, Sunday the 20th of October. Tomorrow is the 21st, and everything but the girl and the apartments are appearing at Birmingham Odeon. At Nottingham's Rock City, it's Rem and the Faith Brothers. 
double appearance there at Nottingham's Rock City. And at the Royal Concert Hall, also in Nottingham, it's Billy Connolly. Final entry in the gig guide for Monday is at the Derngate Centre here in Northampton. Guildhall Road, of course. Mark Armand is appearing there on Monday evening. And this, of course, is the start of his rescheduled UK tour. Had problems with his appendix earlier. He's better now, fully recovered, and appearing live on stage at the Derngate on Monday. To Tuesday, and Robin Hitchcock and the Egyptians are appearing at Warwick University in Coventry. And at the Royal Concert Hall in Nottingham, it's Billy Colony for his second night. That's Tuesday in the Gig Guide. On to Wednesday at the Black Lion in Northampton is the Billy G Band. On Thursday at the Black Lion, it's Eric Whitehouse. And on Friday, a group called Spaceman 3 are appearing at the Black Lion in St. Giles Street. The Countywide Gig Guide on the Pulse on Radio Northampton. Well, what have we had there in the space of one week? The fall, everything but the girl. Rem, as they said in that clip, usually known as R.E.M. Billy Connolly, Mark Ullman, Robin Hitchcock. I mean, it's... Uh, and the venues as well, for people who either know the area or just um, have seen, like, the history of Spaceman 3. Lots of places that they played as well. J.B.'s in Dudley, the old Five Bells. Um, and, of course, finishing off... With uh, Spaceman 3's appearance, or one of many Spaceman 3 appearances at the Black Line, uh, a lovely little time capsule, that thing. And thanks very much to um, Graham Holiday, who originally recorded it and sent it to us. Well, although that interview's taken up most of our time uh, this for this episode, uh, there's still a bit of time available where um, we can talk about some other bands that you may be interested in. And, and Mark, you were going to talk um, about... Uh, uh, a scene rather than one particular band although I know there's something in particular that you wanted to, to mention there and yeah. it's certainly outside uh, my normal area of, of experience. Yeah not not exactly local to rugby. <laughs> uh, it's really just going to touch on um, the psychedelic scene which is going on in South America uh, which has been going on for quite a few years now. Uh, a lot of this is uh, would appeal to Spaceman 3 fans. Indeed, a lot of the bands have been heavily influenced by Spaceman 3, but Chile's the country I've got to focus on, but Peru, Argentina, Brazil, Paraguay, there's bands in all these countries uh, making a lot of really good psychedelic music. But in Chile, uh, there's there's one band in particular I was going to focus on uh, called the Psychedelic Chaffers and Jet Plane, which when I first heard of them, I thought they, they can't be serious with a name like that. They only made one record. Uh, it's it's a really excellent record, self self titled. Uh, it's the brainchild of a guy called Vincente Cicinitz, if I pronounce that correctly. Uh, originally from Santiago, Chile, now resides in Berlin. Indeed, Berlin seems to be producing its own little psychedelic scene. A lot of the guys from Chile now live there. Of course, our own Wilco Brothers lives in Berlin, as does Anton Newcomb from Brian Jonestown Massacre. Focusing on the Chilean side, uh, there are a lot of bands still over there. There's a lot of these guys are actually linked up, play with each other, a band called La Hell Gang. Holy Drug Cup will be familiar to many. Another uh, more kind of motoric, krautrock type band called Folloxoid are also very good. But the psychedelic shafts and jet plane, when their album came out uh, and I ordered it, I was surprised to see fairly prominent letters on the back, the words, God bless Spaceman 3. So obviously this was going to be something that was going to be vaguely interesting. And, and indeed it is. But uh, the main guy, Vincente Cicevitz, uh, is also involved. Uh, in fact, I think he's partly renamed himself as Foxtrot Sierra and his uniforms. And he's made, uh, I think, at least five albums. Uh, rather bizarre titles, one called Surfing, Krautlifornia, Fender Hobo Lounge is another, Ursatz Cowboy. These are all pretty psychedelic, very spaceman orientated. Uh, a lot of Brian Jonestown Massacre mixed in there. Uh, and the Psychedelic Shafts and Jet Planes album has a mixture of really both these bands. They've actually made a lot of the music their own, but I think with tracks like, uh, there's one called No Return Blues. There's another one called In Margaritas with David Icke all kind of fairly quirky titles. You can definitely hear the influence which has come from rugby. And I really can't recommend these albums enough. Uh, Foxtrot Sierra just keep on making records. Uh, they're also linked with another band called Chicos de Nazca, also now based in Berlin, who have released an endless list of albums. All this stuff is on Bandcamp. 
you can buy it, you can listen to it. Some of it comes out as a physical product. Some of them are just uh, digital MP3 type things, uh, but I really can't recommend these enough. It also leads on to the, uh, a tribute album, which actually came out from Argentina uh, called Jugando con Fuego, obviously translates as uh, playing with fire, which came out on Pleroma Discos, which is an Argentinian label. And it is literally a Latin American tribute album to Spaceman 3 Spectrum and Spiritualized. They've taken fairly unusual tracks i think uh, not the most obvious ones and made them their own and it's a it's a free download on bandcamp very easily found uh, and again gives you a good introduction to a lot of those bands but heading back to the one which which i started off with i think the psychedelic shafts and jet plane probably made the best of that kind of droney south american psych uh, and although the album is deleted it can be easily listened to via bandcamp and indeed downloaded well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's, this is a whole load of things that I'm really completely ignorant of. And you tipped me off uh, when you were, we were planning what you were going to chat about, about some of this. And I had a chance yesterday to listen to um, one of the Fox Rock Sierra albums. And uh, yeah, absolutely lovely. Uh, and if you want to try before you buy, then I think uh, that one seemed to have found its way entirely onto YouTube. Uh, so, you know, you can listen to them first, but uh, if it is something that, that takes you fancy, Bandcamp, I think, is, is always the best way to go to support artists directly. Um, I'll put some links to all these things on the podcast page on, on my site and, and a few other places where you might be listening to us from. So, yeah, enjoy and investigate. That's Thanks, right. I think I think it's actually reached the point where if I hear of a psychedelic band uh, mentioned on Facebook or somewhere like that, and someone says, "Oh, they come from Santiago," or they're, or they're from somewhere in Argentina, I think ah, it's probably probably worth a look. <laughs> Okay, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back uh, probably quicker than we normally would be with the second part of our interview with Mark Refoy. Um, until then, we've been Spaceman Pod. Thanks for coming. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>